Hello, and welcome to Relevate Presents Scholars Ship, the podcast where we use real research to analyze, scrutinize, and humanize your favorite TV and movie couples. I'm your host, Eric Goodcase. Hello, and welcome to a special LL Cool J edition of Relevate Presents Scholarship. Denzel, do you know why it's an LL Cool J edition? I was hoping you wouldn't ask me, but I was trying to, <laughs> I was trying to figure it out. Wait, wait, wait. Don't call it a comeback. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. Don't call it a comeback. <laughs> Relevate Presents Scholarship, new episode. We are getting back to basics after we've been gone for a little bit. We're going to be just me and Denzel talking, so we're going to talk about one of our favorite shows, Rick and Morty. Denzel, how you been doing? Yeah, I've been doing pretty well. Uh, you know, we've been busy, but we're back. You know, when you brought up the LL, you know, uh, comparison, I was trying to think, I was like, was LL and Rick and Morty? I was like, I remember <laughs> Ice-T being a literal block of ice shaped as a T. I remember Logic being in the episode with Noob Noob. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, we're back though. Yeah, I don't know how I thought of that yesterday, and I was like, oh, man, I really hope Denzel doesn't see where this is going. So I was really glad that you didn't know what I was getting at, because that that works out even better. No idea. (laughs) (laughs) So usually this is the time we spend to kind of get to know uh, our guest. This time, by now, hopefully you already know the two of us at this point. So it's just going to be me and Denzel, so no need to get to know new guests. So we'll just kind of jump into it and talk about Rick and Morty, the show, in terms of, you know, our relationship with it, and then we'll get into some of the relationships in the show. So Denzel, if you want to start, tell me about your relationship with the show and how you got started watching it, how you feel about it, all that stuff. Yeah, so Rick and Morty's been out for a while. And it, it was it was pretty popular long before I started watching it, I would say. I was actually at a friend's house one time. And you know how you kind of sit with your friends, but hey, like let's watch something on Netflix or Hulu or whatever the case may be, right? And just flipping through stuff. They just pulls up an episode of Rick and Morty. Never seen that this time. Can't remember what episode we watched, but apparently I loved it because Rick and Morty is definitely a show that uh, I've probably seen all four of the seasons going on about ten times now, at least seven. Yeah, You know, there, there's been times where, like, I watched it for, like, watching it and the content, like, being fully engaged with it. There's been times to where, like, I know it so well at this point, at least three of those times I've, like, had as like, watching his background noise while I'm working or something. So, you know, it's one of those shows that, that I really enjoy. It's very complex, and, like, you feel like you get something new out of it each time you watch it, which is something I can appreciate. Yeah, same, because I've watched it through a ton of times. And like it's why it's one of my ultimate background shows. So if I'm ever playing video games, for some reason I can't just focus on the video game. I need to have something going to whether it's music or a TV show. And this is like one of my ultimates because Adult Swim does like one of those marathons. So you just click on it and it just picks up wherever in the middle of a random episode. That way I don't have to like pick an episode. I don't have to like think about like continuity or yeah. watching it through. You just kind of like pick up wherever. But yeah, so my brother would try to get me to watch it for a little bit. He had given me a he'd given me the recommendation a couple of times, and I was kind of like, yeah, whatever. And then there was one time I was visiting home, and so him and I were talking about it because we were both at our parents' house, and I was like, all right, fine, I'll watch it. So I just kind of like before going to bed, I turned it on my tablet or whatever, and it was the um, the uh, love potion episode, the one where uh, whatever the was that the Cronenbergs? Yeah, the Cronenbergs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> And that one is, it's still one of my favorites, partly because it was the first one I watched. So yeah, I was hooked 
uh, pretty immediately after that one episode. And I watched a bunch more. And then I started watching it in order because that one was like the seventh episode of the first season or something like that. Yeah. Um, that was when just the first season was out. And then I kind of followed it with second, third, and fourth season. And they did that thing. I don't know if you remember. I think it was the third season where they had like the first episode of that season come out on April Fool's Day. Mm. Remember this? Yeah. And it was just that episode. And I think I watched that episode like three or four times that night or that day or whatever, just because I was just like so excited for it to be back, <laughs> but knew I wasn't getting any more for such a long time. They're quite the tease with their uh, episode releases. Are, it takes like, so long and I get it, but man. Yeah. I heard that. Uh, I hope it's true, but I heard that uh, with Dan Harmon, I forget the other guy's name. I'll probably have to look it up while we're doing the- Justin Roiland. Yeah, there you go. They talked about how, you know, how they resigned their contract for like 70 more episodes. And like, they basically already gotten everything written up. It's just like the animation and stuff. So they, they plan on releasing it quicker. So that's fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. And in fact, for those who are in the listening audience, Denzel and I actually have recorded an episode about this show before, but it was right before the fourth season dropped. And then it dropped. And it was like, this is kind of, you know, pointless for us to do this now. And then, because originally that was kind of part of the plan, but it was also wasn't our best work. So <laughs> we just, just scrapped it. Because again, Rick and Morty is very complex. It's so hard to follow. So we're going to try again. We're going to try again. And speaking of which, because Rick and Morty is so complex and there's so many times where it's like, is this the Rick, the original Rick or the original Summer or the original Jerry and Bev? We're just going to stick to what's in the episodes and continuity. We'll go outside of like the main, like Kanan in terms of like, if we visit C-137. Yeah, if we, if we go outside of C-137, <laughs> if it like makes sense to. But like, it doesn't make us a lot of sense for us to say like, oh, before the Cronenberg episode, that Beth and Jerry is different than the one post that one, even though technically it is like, we're going to treat them as if they're the same. You might talk about, you know, we, we do get to visit Cronenberg, Beth, Jerry, and Summer again at one point. So maybe that'll come up. But other than that, like, we're kind of sticking this as, like, one timeline kind of a thing, just because otherwise it's just going to get too nuts. Yeah. And I feel like we're, by analyzing it, we're doing exactly, like, what the people on the show probably, like, are, like, making fun of people for doing is by going to a depth. But, like, I'm fine with that. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, they, uh, they they get upset when people make, like, just outlandish fan theories because uh, they were like, y'all give us way too much credit for, like, being that smart. Like, it's really not that deep. <laughs> and, and they were like, the deeper you, you all try to make it, the harder our job gets. And we try to stay away from that. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, man. All right, let's get into it because, like, I think this is really fascinating. And obviously, there's a lot to get into related to Rick and Morty. Again, our focus is relationships. That's what we're going to try to talk about the most. But if we might go into other things just as, you know, conversation goes. But let's start with the grand patriarch of the Sanchez myth group and Rick. He's the star of the show. Let's start with him and just talk about, like, obviously, there's so much to Rick. But maybe when you were first watching, what were your first impressions? What do you kind of like when you're trying to like describe his personality? How would you even do that? Yeah, I would say Rick is definitely one of those characters that first watch through or maybe even you may pick up on it faster. But at least the first couple of episodes, maybe first season, like he's Rick's one of those characters that we all ascribe to be like, right? Like super intelligent able to separate oneself from, you know, logic and emotion. Uh, again, very super intelligent. Seems like he's invincible in the face of danger. 
you know, you, so you kind of get those from like, you know, your Ricks, your Bojacks early on, right? And so then the more you watch it and the more you start to like really dive deeper into the character and you go, wait a minute, like, do I really want to have this one great thing at the sacrifice of sacrificing so many other things? Like, again, we're not getting this for the relationship purposes, but there's, you know, the alcoholism, there's the, you know, just the emotional disconnection that he has, the way that he tries to convince other people about himself, but he's really convincing himself that he's some certain way so he doesn't have to deal with other things. Um, so he's sure. definitely one of those characters that are, um, that's very complex in that way. Yeah, I agree because I think, you know, there is definitely like that group of that kind of like hero worshipy part of it, like where you just see, like you said, he can get out of any situation. He doesn't seem particularly like scared of any situation, except very rarely, right? Like, yeah. Like, and that's played off for humor, right? Like, so even episode one where he's like, I've seen everything and whatever. And then it's like, I've never seen that before in my life and run away. And then the episode, again, where they're setting up the episode where they go through the toxin screener, right? Where he's like, mm. they're freaking out because whatever. But again, that's like such a rare occurrence for him. And it's played off for laughs, whereas like his character is supposed to be so kind of like, even the face of death or the face of all this danger, the face of all this ridiculousness that he's around. He's just so calm and collected about it and and sense of control right yeah that's a really good point sense of control about it where he kind of like you know probably we can get into this a little bit more too he probably needs that sense of control right like you know like to feel kind of like more secure and stable but yeah like sense of control over what's going on like always in charge and then again you get to learn all this stuff about his kind of like again that emotional disconnection and like how he really wants to sometimes be closer to uh, Morty or Summer or Beth and can sometimes get to a certain point, but then has like, you know, really serious actions in the wrong direction, right? I'm thinking specifically, I just watched the Vat of Acid episode, which I'm going to bring up a lot, probably. Okay. That's one of my favorites. But, you know, there's that point where Morty's giving him a lot of attitude because he's a teenage boy. And Rick just like, you know, even in the face of all that rick just like is like no let's go he goes after morty in like the most like manipulative attacking way possible right in this like crazy episode that ends up coming up um just because morty was given him attitude because again he's a teenage boy and that's what teenage boys do and even after morty tried to repair right so there was a point where rick is kind of like faking being vulnerable mm-hmm. and morty moves to repair like hey let's just you know i'm sorry like I don't remember exactly what he said, but he kind of like goes to repair in a sense of like, hey, like, let's get back on the same page. Um, sorry for how that went, but it didn't matter. Rick was like, I'm committed to this and, you know, yeah, dot, dot, dot. But yeah, so very complicated character. I have some issues, certainly in emotional. Yeah, let's talk about his relationships because that's what we want to focus on the most. And we don't know a lot about, you know, um, Rick and Beth's mom. Yeah. We thought we got a glimpse of her in that scene, but it was a fake memory. And I don't know how much of that is true or not, whether that's even what she looks like or that was how she acted. Like we have no like way of knowing, which is kind of confusing about the show, but we do have an idea of a couple of his relationships, whether it be unity or um, the planet. I don't remember the name of the planet. <laughs> yeah. I, f- I forgot about the planet, but now I remember, I will say that, uh, and I know we we uh, we said we're gonna stay away from this, and we are going to stay away from this. 
But I will say, because I can't go without saying, there is a fan theory out there that thinks that Beth's mom slash Rick's partner is Unity that held a host body that was a human at some point. So there's that. Interesting. And maybe that explains why Unity isn't around because she left and assimilated other things, but that's why Best Mom might not be around. But like, it sounds like Best Mom was around for a while and then because she wasn't like an orphan at any point. It doesn't seem like that wasn't like a storyline. It just seemed like Rick was the one that left and came back way later. Which is also a fan theory around that, but we're not going to get into that. Okay. Yeah. So much to get into. (laughs) I guess we just start with Unity then. Yeah, start with Unity, because that's the one I think we know the most about. The other one was, we don't know about that relationship, really. We just know that the weird stuff that happened and, like, the... Yeah, we won't get into that one probably as much. But <laughs> Unity, we learned a lot more about in terms of, like, how Rick is in relationships. So, thinking about that episode with Rick and Unity, what do you kind of, like, make of Rick Sanchez as a romantic partner? I mean, you know, Rick has the... Uh, he sounds like an exciting romantic partner to have a very thrilling romantic partner to have um you know if you watch that episode and just all the things that they're getting into whether it be the parasailing down into the stadium or you know the copious oh son go <laughs> right <laughs> the, the copious amounts of you know extracurricular things that they consume during their time for pleasure xyz right it's it sounds like a very exciting partner uh but then when you Look a, look a little deeper into it and, and you look at like Unity and it was Unity that seemed to, to be moved past that phase of Unity's life. I'm trying to avoid saying her. Yeah. Because I guess Unity is more of a, a being than a... More of an it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess uh, Unity kind of moved past that phase and, and you see some of that relapse start to come up, right? And whenever I think about Unity within that process, it it took them a point to get to a place where uh, Summer and uh, Morty helped her to help them to get to a place where it was like, yeah, this isn't me anymore. This isn't who I want to be anymore. So as a romantic partner, going relating all that back to Rick, you know, one of the things that, one of the uh, quotes that I've always taken away with me from, I guess, kind of the therapy world is, you know, as we are systemic thinkers and we think when one person changes, if they are to be within that space, within another person, that other person must also change to be able to continue that relationship. And so I really see this as uh, which one of those classic cases of like, don't you change because that means that I have to change. Yeah. And it seems like uh, as fun as the relationship was, they weren't able to get to a place where they could meet on mutual grounds within that whole change process. For sure. And I think what you bring up is a really good point in terms of like, it seems like a fun time. And that seems to be all that is Rick's motivation. Rick wasn't motivated by becoming closer to unity. Rick wasn't motivated by like the idea of, I don't know, just kind of like having a partner really. It just seemed like it would be really fun to have a partner who could assimilate all of these people. And if you think about the fact that the two exes we know of from Rick's life is a sentient like being that assimilates and kind of can control entire communities and planets eventually, and a planet. Literally. <laughs> a literal planet. Like you can really see that Rick, in terms of what he values, is kind of like getting like it's it's almost like um 
maybe a status thing, but almost like a how cool or interesting or fun can this be for me? Um, it doesn't really seem like he is that interested in becoming closer to any of the people, any of those, either of those two examples. And I think what you brought up earlier in terms of like kind of always being in control of things is really pertinent to this as well, because he is always kind of in control in dangerous situations, right? The fact that even when things look like they're going wrong, he feels very in control and can handle them. The issue with that in relationships is kind of obviously that, you know, having control over a relationship means having control of another person. And like, that's not you know how you have healthy relationships. And the thing that unity says in her letter at the very end, I think is very telling where it's like, you're better at this, than like the manipulating or turning a person into someone else than I am. Mm. Um, because that's literally what unity exists to do. And yet Rick was the one kind of manipulating unity into becoming something that they were not, or it was not. And that, manipulation again when we're talking about it in this like sci-fi terms it's kind of like interesting and fun but if you take that to like a metaphor with other relationships we start to get into the conversation related like back when we were talking about you right where it's like a person is trying to manipulate someone in order to have control over the situation and again that can be very like safe right when i have control i feel safety and stability but again that's you know not how you have close relationships or healthy relationships because you're trying to control somebody else. For sure. And uh, just for the record, as I am still single and looking, as Eric brings up the show, you, he literally means to show you, not you as in me. Oh. <laughs> uh, that is not me. We were, we were definitely talking about the show. Oh my God. Just I didn't even think about that. that. <laughs> oh man. Just want to put that out there. Usually this this podcast is supposed to help your dating life. And then I just put a huge wrench in it there. Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm, but I'm, I'm glad we can clear that up. For all interested parties in dating Dr. Denzel Jones, <laughs> relevatepodcast at gmail.com. That again, that's relevatepodcast at gmail.com. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, I know what you're saying about, you know, the whole control piece even going into that now that now that you uh, start to mention and, and you know share a little bit about what you share it just brought up this idea or this thought about what we look for in potential partners right and i think that i mean i can say confidently that people based off of various different factors developmental stages just where they are in life uh just kind of what their needs are in any given moment there's a lot of different factors that take place into our mate selection processes and what we look for in a potential partner, however that partner relationship may look. And so thinking about Rick, I guess Rick in the sense of, I guess what he looks for is very, and I'm going to talk about this metaphorically and just kind of bring it back to the literal space as, you know, just Rick and Morty's just out there, but it seems like he looks for very exotic features within partners and like i don't mean well i mean i guess i do mean but i'm not necessarily talking about like you know erotic sex or anything like anything like that but more so like they never within the show we never really see rick date a human right but that's also because like rick thinks that he's more than human or perceives himself to be more than human so all these i guess superior beings are what is attractive to rick yeah, and even like casual sex relationships, he hooks up with the alien that Jerry dates. 
Um, yeah. And he hooks up with the Atlantean mermaids. He did that as well. He did that. So yeah, he's, I think even in his like casual sexual relationships, that rings true as well. Yeah. And, and so when we think about that process, and again, unity ultimately got there, but it's important whenever we are, you know, seeking out potential partners, when we're thinking about what we want out of relationships, not to say that any type of relationships, there are some bad things that happen in relationships, right? Like domestic violence, like that's off limits, rape, like don't do those things, right? But I guess more so what I'm speaking more towards is the types of relationships that, that you want for yourself and like value for yourself where no other people are put in danger. It's important to, to have those conversations and continuously have those conversations um, just about where the relationship is going, kind of kind of what are expectations, being able to renegotiate and reevaluate roles, rules, boundaries, et cetera, et cetera. Because Unity wasn't looking for that, that same type of relationship that Rick was. We easily saw that, you know, uh, was it Scott Stanley's sliding versus deciding, right? We easily saw yeah. that, that sliding trajectory of Unity sliding into a relationship that they didn't necessarily want. It felt good in the moment, but, you know, you literally see Unity wake up out of bed and say, oh, like, here we are, like, what's going on? So it, I'm, I'm glad that Unity was able to catch that early and to be able to communicate, you know, just why that relationship wasn't going to work for them. Yeah, and I think that's a really important thing to think about with Rick, too, in terms of, like, what he looks for in a relationship is, you know, kind of exotic features and kind of, like, fun and exciting but he still has this desire to emotionally connect, even though he acts like he doesn't 99% of the time, right? And there are plenty of instances we can point to where Rick is, you know, usually it's with uh, Morty or Summer, where he kind of like does something that shows that he really cares about them, even though he acts like he doesn't most of the time. And if we think about simple Rick and the simple Rick cookies, (laughs) every Rick across the multiverse desires that feeling that simple Rick is able to accomplish just by having a relationship with Beth, his daughter. So even though, again, no Rick, if you were to ask them, hey, do you want to have like emotional connections with people, they'd feel very like put off by that. But they literally created an entire product of a cookie to give them that feeling of emotional connection. And that's how they describe it. That's not just me saying that to like make stuff up. That's literally how they describe it in a sense. It's like they took that feeling that Simple Rick has and put it into a cookie. Right. Which, I mean, you think back to, what was it, the first episode where uh, where Rick, and I'm sure this, this may even come up more than once, but when Rick was talking to Morty about, you know, what love is, and he was just like, listen, Morty, I hate to break it to you, but what people call love is just a chemical reaction that compels animals to breathe. Yeah, yeah. It hits you hard, then it slowly fades, leaving you in a stranded failed marriage or something like that. So... Break the cycle. Focus on science. Focus on science. I like that line. <laughs> so, you know, uh, and I think, you know, when you just talk about like a character development um, trajectory, we kind of see those those two competing thoughts, or those two competing ideas within Rick's internal processes and how it relates to um, himself within relationships. Yeah. And this is also interesting in thinking about how when we had the episode where there's a toxic Rick and non-toxic Rick, and we find out that what was toxic, quote unquote, was self-defined by the person. Mm-hmm. And for Rick, 
is attachments were part of toxic Rick, even though for most of us, that would not be something that falls in. So it's really back and forth for him between these two things where he wants to be attached, but he also severely does not want to be attached. Yeah. I mean, it's, and you know, attachment is one of those things that are very scary and like, yeah, you you can see that clearly in the character. Like it's a it's a it's a scary thing for him to be attached to something. Um, part of that comes with giving up a little bit of that control. Um, there's other elements that go into it for sure. But a healthy attachment can be scary and challenging at times as well. So I just wanted to put that out there yeah. to say that while in relationships, try to understand and navigate and find that balance or juggling act however we want to define that of of what healthy is can be arbitrary um it can be very subjective so as, as much as we could say this is the right way to be in a relationship that's not always the case definitely it's hard relationships are hard can be yeah and definitely they're very hard and relationship like a healthy relationship might look different person to person and what that means for sure exactly in terms of what our needs are and how we act and something my wife and i do all the time is we like we say mean things to each other a lot, but like in a way that like, I don't know, it's fun and playful. And for some people like that could never be fun and playful. Like if you say something yeah. like that just never has any other meaning, but we never use them in like a mean way. So like if I were to say something to her, I can't think of a good example off the top of my head, but. Yeah, that's probably, that's probably safe. <laughs> 100%, 100% that's what that is. You were trying, I was trying to make it like I forgot. And you're like, no, you know what you say. <laughs> You're trying to figure out which one you could filter. Oh, <laughs> no, I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, but yeah, I just think this uh, is so complicated with Rick and, you know, those emotional attachments and what he looks for. And, you know, I'm even thinking about how, like, the episode with Unity, how it looked like it was just all fun and games for him. And then at the end, when Unity was, like, broke up with him, he was really hurt about it. And we can make an argument that it wasn't about the intimacy, that maybe it was about something in terms of his own perception, like, why would someone leave me because I'm so great? But, you know, I tend to think it's because of this emotional connection thing. He really did want that, even though he doesn't know how to get it or ask for it or, like, do it. And then when the opportunity came up and he had feelings and then it got taken away, it was hard for him. Anything else on, on Rick and Unity? I can't think of anything. Yeah, I will say that the the B story offers a whole another philosophical, debatable question that uh, that can further be explored, not here on this podcast. That's not what we're here for. But yeah, definitely go check out that episode because you can get too many debates about that. Which is the beef story again on that one? With Unity taking over all those people, but they were very bad people and then they started doing good things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, is that, a, is that a rational reason to take over someone or, you know, or like, is taking over someone with a better option because they were very, they did very bad things. For sure. I thought there was, I, I think that's also, is the other story in that with Beth and Jerry and the alien in the basement? Oh, yeah. Was that that one? It's that one? I'm not sure if it's that one or not. I honestly can't keep them track. Well, I mean, I'm sure we're going to talk about that, so. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to Beth and Jerry. But, I mean, just to kind of transition into that, I think one of the things that we can kind of provide like a unique perspective on these relationships and i think this show does a really good job of since we have like three generations just denzel and i being family therapists and really seeing how you know our family relationships and other relationships really influence how we are in the future and then how we have relationships i think it's really interesting to think about how rick has really maybe influenced 
Beth and Jerry's relationship, and then obviously Summer and Morty as well. But how do you see Rick? Yeah, how does Rick influence the Beth and Jerry relationship? Yeah. Um, or just Beth in general? Sheesh. My goodness. Yeah, I think in, in terms of at least the romantic relationships, I mean, we could probably span this over three, four, five episodes. Um, <laughs> there's frequent, you know, there's, there's, there's frequent uh, mentions or, or notations, whether it was whenever they went to the, the intergalactic couples therapy or whatever that was. And then there was the, the alien in the basement. Yeah, great episode. <laughs> Everyone just makes it very clear <laughs> just about how just absolutely terrible their relationship is. It's the worst thing ever. And I don't know how the two of you ever got together or why you would even stay together. Whatever, you know, the daily yeah. one on that whole monologue. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you see, you see a lot of uh, Rick in, in Beth, you know, just that sense of control, some feelings of superiority, which, again, we're working with two different extremes here, which when we think about Jerry, kind of makes it easier to go to that place. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's that's an interesting thing in terms of how they paired up, right? Right, and it, and it's one of those hard things to to think of, like as like you know, again, family therapists, systemic thinkers, we like to think about how things work in relationships. So it's not like we look at one thing and say, okay, you're a bad person, and that's what's bringing this out, or you're a bad person, yeah. and that's what's bringing this out. But when we see how how those two are together, as as an outside observer, as just a pure fan of the show and just looking at characters and character development, removing that hat a little bit, right? It makes it really hard to like either of these characters, honestly. Yeah. And it started when I first, the first time I watched it through, I didn't pick up on it as much, but I kid you not, each time I watch it, I grow more and more disdain for both of these characters. Yeah. And, uh, and again, it's, Therapy would be helpful for them if they would be open to it. But we also see them, uh, they destroyed a whole, nearly a whole planet when they went to therapy. So, so here's, here's my hot take. So I'm not saying anything you're saying is wrong. I have a hard time with both Beth and Jerry yeah. <laughs> in terms of them as characters in general. I'm here for it. I think if they were in therapy and committed to it, they would be like, they'd stay together. I think they're, if they worked through some of the things, I think that they would actually be a solid match um, because there are moments where they like have things work for them. They're very reactive. Mm. Beth, is in, Beth and Jerry are, are incredibly reactive to each other. It does not take a lot to set the other off. And I think that's one of the big things that happens with them that I can see being an issue. Yeah. And in the thinking about that therapy episode and a lot of the other ones, it doesn't take much. And I'm thinking specific, there was that one episode, I don't remember which one it was, where Jerry asked if Besta loved him. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, you want people, you want homeless people to have houses? And he was like, yeah, are you going to build the houses? And he's like, no, then what good was the yes? Yeah. <laughs> he goes into this thing, is like, this is work for me. Does it feel like I'm working? And it's just like, you know, incredibly kind of like aggressively, I don't even know how to describe that. Very Rick. <laughs> yeah, it is very Rick. That's where you really see the Rick bleed through. And that's where I see the reactivity too. Because just thinking about like the, the bad of episode and how Rick reacted to Morty in that thing and just went to entirely extreme to kind of like 
put Morty in his place instead of just being like, oh, he's a teenager, he's got attitude. Every little thing between Beth and Jerry is like a slight and they really go off on each other. But I was going to say there are also times where like we see glimpses of them kind of working mm-hmm. and not that, you know, that should be like the, um, I think that's also how people who are in problematic or unhealthy relationships like stay in them, right? Because there's still these pockets of good. Yeah. But some of these pockets I feel really good about in terms of like, you know, Jerry is kind of like this, supposed to be this beaten down, helpless character, but he also pulls off this elaborate scheme to like save that deer and help Beth save that deer because he really knows his wife and cares about what his wife cares about, right? Like he knows how she is about stuff. And he knows that if she didn't get to save it, it would be like it wasn't saved at all. So he put together this entire plan to like basically let her do her thing. Like that's an incredibly like sensitive to the other person's needs and desires action. Yeah, for sure. And thinking about the alternative storylines that we know about. So in the very first um, interdimensional cable episode, the B story being Mm -hmm. that, Beth and Jerry are finding out how their life is in other realities and how even in these other realities, when they get what they want, they're still unhappy and end up going back to each other. And again, not to say that that's indicative that they're meant to be or anything like that. I think it's kind of indicative of a lot that Rick brings up about Beth in terms of, I think she'd be kind of unhappy with whatever path she chose. I'm glad you brought up the piece about uh, the reactivity too, because I think it's very important. As you mentioned, like both of them are very, reactive and when i say that like they're reactive for the better or for the worse so like you know we started talking so far about like how they're they're reactive in the sense to where they kind of break down the relationship but they're also very reactive into how they built up the relationship and kind of like some of the glimpses that you talk about right um yeah what was it the interdimensional cable and then there was Mm -hmm. the couples therapy and and the me seeks when he took when he went in the kitchen and, and did the whole me six yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we see a couple of those glimpses. And so, like, with your hot take, like, I mean, I can agree with that. I think with uh, a, a certain amount of aid and patience upon the therapist and working with them, um, it would take a very special therapist, a, a very uh, in-tune therapist, a therapist who's willing to, to, to help them put in the work and to work with them. But I do, I do definitely think it could be positive. One of because one of the things that that I think about, you know, particularly coming from you know, kind of uh, more of a postmodern sense of therapy, we don't have to get into all that. But thinking about like those exceptions and those unique outcomes, the times where things did really work well, right? They're reactive to the sense where everything's either very left or very right, but not much happens in the middle. And so, like, how can we help get some of those more positive things to happen more in the middle? Yeah. They just swing so much. Very unstable. That's a really good point because, you know, as a therapist, we would want to kind of move them away from like really relying on these like huge emotional reconciliations, right? Like, so like the therapy episode or like the um, me seeks or like one of the others where it's like, they only come together because there's huge like emotional event that happens that brings them together, which is why I think. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And I, that's why I think the deer thing is so unique because it, it, it shows the sensitivity that he has in terms of like knowing Beth in that way. And I think that's the trait you can build on with Jerry, at least. Like Jerry knows Beth really well and wants to do right by her. He's just so insecure to 
an extreme degree that anytime anything questions his insecurity, mm. problems happen. And like huge problems happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're definitely not saying, you know, again, going back to what I was saying earlier, pointing fingers at this is all best fault. Right. Like they, they happen in relation, definitely. Yes. You know, I think I can't point to like one trait. Like I can point to Jerry being kind of like sensitive in that way. I can't point to one trait with Beth because you see a lot of the same things with Beth that you see with Rick mm-hmm. in terms of emotional connection, even with like family too, where, you know, the episode where Summer has a really rough time because her boyfriend breaks up with her. The Ethan, right? And Summer's building. Yeah, with Ethan and Summer is building a horse out of horse hooves and, you know, having her own thing going on. And she just wasn't able to, like, connect with Summer to kind of help her in that place. Yeah. You know, just like Rick, like, as we had that discussion, like, we know this is there, but, like, just trying to figure out what that thing is and and how to pull that out. Yeah. Um, You know, not saying that's our jobs here. Right. On this podcast. But, uh (laughs) Yeah, we, we know that there is some positivity, some glimmer of hope, some light that's there that um, that is very special to Beth. It's just hard to name it being an outside observer, reviewer of that. Yeah. And you know what else? Like, Beth keeps choosing her family. I think there's something to be said of the fact that she keeps choosing her family, even when she has these options to do other things. And obviously, we don't know which was the clone and which wasn't or whatever that end of that story was in the last very last episode. But what I mean by that is, like, you know, at the end of season three, she kind of comes back to her family. At the end of lots of episodes, she kind of, like, comes back to her family. And I think she's very committed to that idea, partly because of Rick, right? Because Rick abandoned Mm -hmm. her and her family. I think she's kind of, like, taken the opposite, where she's, like, very committed to her family and keeps choosing her family, which is great. It's just kind of, we have all the other, other things that are kind of, like, the reactivity and like the fighting and like the, the poor conflict resolution and the lack of ability to kind of emotionally connect. Yeah. And could you imagine the strength that that has to take? Like, I mean, just think about it. The person that abandoned you as a child is wedging themselves in between your family, choosing them or, or your family. Actively trying to mess up your family, admittedly so. And you have to let go of that person that's abandoned you for 20 years to choose your family, which she does on at least one occasion. Yeah. I would imagine that that would take a lot of strength, knowing that that person may never come back again. Yeah. It would be really easy for her to take Rick's route. She has some of the same stuff in terms of having trouble emotionally engaging. She has some of the same kind of like reactivity that Rick has. She has some of the same stuff, but she's acting very differently. And we can get into why that is and hypothesize why that might be. But she is, like you said, taking that, like, has a lot of strength in the sense of like really kind of committing to pick choosing her family over and over when it would be so easy to do exactly what her father did, who she's so alike. And we see that in so many different episodes. And that's kind of like played out like, oh, you're exactly like Rick. I'm mm-hmm. my father. She says that and like all these things, but she doesn't leave. Yeah. There's something different there about her that keeps her choosing her family. Exactly. Like there's stuff to build on. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. Yay, intergenerational trauma. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's very intense. I know you mentioned Jerry's parents. You want to get into what you want to talk about Jerry's parents? Because you made an excellent point when we talked about this before, and I want to make sure we hit that. Yeah. Um, and talking about Jerry's parents. Yeah. So so Jerry's parents, uh, quick background. Jerry's parents came over for Christmas. 
Um, yeah, just one episode. It was like episode they two had or three. It, one episode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they bought an extra partner. What was it? Jerry's mom had a sex partner, and Jerry's dad yeah. would dress up as Superman and watch from the closet or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, Almost always dressed as Superman. <laughs> right, right. And uh, Jerry had a, a really hard time with, you know, accepting that relationship for what it was. And the last time I recorded this, I brought up the point that not saying that, you know, Jerry's parents shouldn't be able to, like, that's their news to bring up that, like, in whatever context they felt most comfortable or wanted to. They did so, they bought it up in in Jerry's home, which was a which was an issue for me, which was a problem for me, because, you know, that's kind of like his space, his safety blanket, whatever the case you may bring up. And there wasn't any kind of forewarning or anything around that. However, upon further review, Uh you know, ref blew the whistle, threw the flag up on the play. We got a challenge. Okay. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. I have changed on my stance. So it's a very brief moment, but if you, if you recall at the beginning of the episode, Jerry took everyone's electronics devices, right? He wanted a, a Christmas without electronics. Right. They show up, his parents show up at the door with the partner and Jerry was like, oh, well, who is this? And, and they were like, this is such and such. And they were like, didn't you get our text? Well, no one got the text because everyone's electronics were taken away. Now, the, co- the cartoon logic doesn't fit because it was really only like, she would have had to send that text from the driveway. Like, they were already there. <laughs> with but like, stepping back out of, out of like, just that, I can appreciate the fact that they were like, hey, this is who this person is. Uh, we want to bring them. Is this going to be okay? Whatever was said in that text, it sounded like they were being very open and communicating that before making an executive decision to go into these other people's home, knowing that this may be something that's going to be brought up for them. So that's something that I can definitely respect. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I think I had a similar, I didn't think about it that way. But once you said it, that's how I've thought about it ever since in terms of like, you know, that's a lot to spring on a person in the moment. You know, it would have been maybe better to have like a one-on-one conversation with a phone conversation or whatever about it before kind of it just kind of like, you know, the person being there where you can't actually talk about it. Because like, if it was just Jerry's mom and dad talking to you about it, it could, you could like express a little more openly like about or learn about it. And like, that's a lot. It's, it's a, it's a, um, trying not to use a swear word here. It's a um, rip on Jerry episode. It really is. It's like, it's a, which are, there are plenty of. But like, I also kind of understand where Jerry's coming from, where that could be like really surprising or a lot to handle in one day. And on top of that, Jacob calls him out for parenting, like right in the middle of it. Right. Do you remember that? Yeah. That's... That was like uncalled for also. But yeah, I, I also like, I, I can try to relate to Jerry a little bit there, but I also really relate to um, the parents. Like that's a really hard thing to bring up. And based on what they, how they talked about Jerry's parents before they showed up, Beth kind of like rolled her eyes like they were super boring, right? They kind of seemed like potentially parents that didn't talk about a lot. They weren't like that open communicatively. And I wonder if that kind of like plays a role in how Jerry is too, right? He's kind of like non-communicative, not super open parents all of a sudden bringing that in, how he's reacting to that and like could play into some of his insecurities as well. Because that seems to be like the prevailing personality trait that he has is he's incredibly insecure. Yeah. And I don't think we we know a lot about like Jerry's childhood and, and being, you know, brought up and stuff like that. Yeah, we know very little. But I would imagine they had they were probably engaged in a very traditional relationship, you know, husband, wife, mother, father, et cetera, et cetera. Just a very traditional lifestyle in that aspect. 
And then to go all the way, you know, again, this show is all about, it's all about going for reaches. Like, this is what this show does. Like, we're just going to reach for the farthest thing that we can. So we're going to go from one side of the continuum all the way to the other side, as quick, as abrupt as we can, like, to get that reaction. That's kind of what the show is based around. Sure. But, like, you definitely could, could see that being played out within this relationship. And again, it's the cartoon logic of yeah, they had to be in that driveway when they sent that text. Yeah. But but, uh, but I mean, it just it just kind of drives home the point that uh, I'm sure that that was probably a lot for Jerry. And I think, don't quote me on this, I think outside of that one Jacob comment, from what I can recall, Jerry's parents did handle it pretty well. Yeah, I thought so too. I think that they they had the conversations that they could. I think they tried to come from a place of understanding and caring. Outside of the, you know, that, that living room intergenerational orgy that almost happened, uh, I think they were very respectful of the space. Outside of that, but <laughs> oh god, but yeah, I don't, I don't think uh, they necessarily tried to do too much to to make it so uncomfortable for him. Outside of again, we're all about swinging for the fences on this show, so there was that one thing. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of intergenerational orgy type jokes in that show. Yeah, dragon related or yeah, <laughs> uh, otherwise or the uh, dream world. There's a couple of those. Oh yeah, the dream world. I forgot about that. It doesn't occur as often as jokes about eating poop, but it is certainly a joke that reoccurs a couple of times. Right. I don't know what it is about the poop eating jokes, but they keep going back to that well over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> and everything is just so phallic. But I will say one of, one <laughs> yeah. of my one of my favorite characters is the the testicle time travelers. I really like them a lot. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Jordan Peele and uh, Keegan Michael Key. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're a funny characters. Yeah, I like those guys. I've watched it on HBO Go recently. I had only watched it on like on my um, Adult Swim app or whatever else before, but I watched it on HBO Go the most recent time, and it's really funny when you can actually hear the swear words. Oh yeah, so that was <laughs> much more enjoyable this time, especially with those two characters. Yeah. I also I don't know how to kind of like bring this up other than just kind of like bringing up out of nowhere. There's also something about Jerry that, you know, um, Rick does a really good job of describing in the episode where they do a Rick and Jerry adventure, a mm. uh, fake Rick and Jerry adventure that becomes a real Rick and Jerry adventure, but almost talking about how his helplessness is manipulative. And I just wonder what you had to say about that, or if you had any thoughts about that in terms of like how sometimes Jerry uses that helplessness or like insecurity to kind of like uh, maybe get something or get attention or get people close to him or whatever it might be. Yeah. And again, I think being so heavily involved in social justice related issues, being at a social justice or in a university, I know you also will to very much care about and advocate for us and better learn and understand about social justice and, and power and privilege and all those kind of things. Right. When you just think about the context of, of a lot of mostly all the characters within this show, the undertone of it is it's a constant struggle or a constant fight for power. And so Jerry's manipulation through his, um, just that, that helplessness, trying to get people to feel for him, to be on his side, whatever the case may be, right? You often see whenever he was, he's most losing that power struggle, that's kind of his calling card or his go-to. Now, again, I think these are processes that as we're in them, we don't always recognize them or notice them. It usually takes some sort of outside observer to be able to point that those kind of things out. And even then, like, are we within ourselves 
comfortable enough to be willing to be open to hearing that and, and taking that on, right? I think that's a very hard place to be to, to hear yourself criticized in that kind of way. Yeah. And not even necessarily that it, I mean, it was Rick, so he, he meant for it to be hurtful. But let's take it out of that context, right? <laughs> uh, not even necessarily whenever we're thinking about like those things are, are, are said in a way or talked about in a way that's meant to be hurtful. Those are just hard things to recognize or realize about yourself. So I think anytime that conversation of power comes into place, it's, it's just a hard conversation to have. And you definitely see that's his power. Yeah. And I think it's a very gendered kind of thing as well in terms of, you know, uh, we won't get probably too far into this. There's lots of research out there, things that we could maybe talk about. I'm thinking specifically about Carmen Knudsen Martin's book on power, privilege, and couples. But a lot of times, you know, just because of the way society has been kind of like shaped and kind of the kind of patriarchal nature of our society sometimes, even when it appears as though men don't have power in relationships, sometimes they do. And, you know, Jerry very much like that helplessness is almost a power move in a sense of like, if a female was doing the same things Jerry was, it wouldn't result in the same amount of power necessarily. Mm -hmm. Um, And it seems to have some kind of like effect on the family that it might not have had if it was Beth having the same actions. Yeah. If it was the other way around. And it, and, and then looking at the other way, like for Beth, you know, because of the way that society kind of like plays things out, she might not be able to kind of like feel as empowered or feel powered or whatever based on, you know, just how she was raised in terms of like how she identifies in terms of like being a woman and like how she was like socialized in terms of what women are supposed to do and supposed to act and things like that. So, you know, it definitely kind of plays in both ways and like, it's really interesting how the gendered component of this kind of like really plays out in terms of like the power in this relationship where it's like a constant power struggle between them and neither of them feel like they have power. Definitely. You know, a lot of the things that Jerry does to kind of like get that power back wouldn't necessarily work if he was female with a male partner and same thing with Beth, some of the things that maybe she does, maybe she feels like maybe they would work in terms of getting more power if she was a male with a female, but because they don't, it kind of like reinforces this kind of like, feeling of insecurity and instability and not being in control. Whereas for Rick, again, very similar to Beth, right? In almost every way, but Rick being male, maybe had a little, has a little bit more um, uh, power in certain situations just because like the way that our society is kind of constructed around that. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or clarify. Yeah. And I just say it goes back to, again, that Rick being that kind of, at least on surface level, idealized character, right? Yeah. I wonder Actually, I don't wonder. It wouldn't be the same if if Rick had been Beth's mom. It definitely wouldn't have been the same. Uh, that would have been a yeah. com- completely different character. There would have been his own set of issues that comes along with that. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I, I like that you bring up that that gendered piece. And I also would say, I don't know if you know, Eric, but I guess I'll ask the listeners, the listeners at home, in your car, in the gym, whatever you're doing, and also the scholars, if there is a show that you know of that has a healthy male identifying sub and a healthy female identifying dom. If there's any shows that cast characters as such, and we can get people to come on to do a talk around that, because I think that'd be a really interesting episode and we could probably get a lot of great content out of that content in the sense of not 
content for our quantity of podcasts. Of course, we do want that, but more so great content in the sense of the messages that we can pull from that. Yeah. And I always think about like, <laughs> whenever I hear those terms, I always think like sexual, but like even just like in a non-sexual way, just kind of like that idea of like, where does the power reside? Is the power more equal? Or does, you know, um, maybe a female have more power in like a male-female relationship? And, you know, I think it's really complicated speaking in terms of like clients I've worked with. And you can tell me if you've seen differently. Where oftentimes if I have clients in the room, uh, a couple, and it is a female client that would be seen as like, I don't like this term, so just kind of roll with it. Wearing the pants in the relationship or something like that. Mm. We have these terms around that. Even then, I see a lot of times where that person feels an awful lot like Beth does. Like they may feel like they have a lot of power in some ways, but they also feel very powerless in other ways or don't always necessarily feel in control in the same way if it was male had similar behaviors or whatever, just because the way society is kind of constructed around gender. Yeah, yeah. And that's also a very great distinction. I don't know if people use that terminology outside of sexual relationships. That's the only place I know it. That's definitely the direction I was going though. Like the non-sex, well, I mean, sex is part of it, right? But the, yeah. but more so around the, the the underlying relationship or interactional pattern. But yeah. I was literally just lecturing and talking about BDSM yesterday in class. So that might be where my brain is. So that's where I was coming from when you said that. <laughs> so it was just funny timing on that part. I was going to make a joke, but I don't want uh, our editor to have to take too much out. So I'm just going <laughs> to keep going. <laughs> Fair enough. So let's kind of like make sure we don't neglect uh, Morty here. He's half of the title. Uh, and then maybe Summer as well. But thinking about Morty in relationships. So we see him interact with Jessica. We see him kind of like have a relationship when he gets his toxins removed. Oh, yeah. We have that relationship in the Vat of Acid episode. Who was the Vat of episode relationship? Uh, we don't ever know her name. She was, it was, it was just the music was playing. It was when he was doing the, the time back in time stuff. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Got it, got it, got he it. The video game save device. Yeah, yeah. Then there was Arthrisha, Ar- Artrisha in the Purge episode. Oh yeah, he was hitting on the Arthrisha, the Purge episode. It's a really cool episode too. Uh, that is a good one. Dance the Tony Tony Tone and had the, rope, had the <laughs> Iron Man suits on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's it for his relationships. I can't think of another one that. Yeah, I think those were the main ones. So what, what are your kind of impressions thinking about, you know, only one of them being like a real kind of relationship in the Vat of episode episode, but like, what do you think about him in terms of like how he interacts with people he's interested in for relationships? No, some of it's developmental. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like a lot of, honestly, a lot of it's developmental. And again, I only reiterate this because it is really hard to tease these things out in Rick and Morty because again, everything is is swinging for the fences. Like we we do not make any singles on this show. Everything is home runs. (laughs) Everything is home runs. No pun intended. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So like a lot of it is developmental uh, when we kind of take some of the the layers of the, the sci-fi and the the kind of uh, jar factor that the show aims at getting. I mean, honestly, a lot of it just is developmental. I guess another relationship he had with was with the sex robot, if you really want to count that. <laughs> Don't count that. Also developmental, but uh Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's at he's at the age where he's starting to become more autonomous with himself. He's starting to get to the phase where he's ready to start looking for other things in different partners. 
I mean, he's also very young in relationships in the sense of, I think it's very common that when people find one person that they're really attracted to, like, that's the only thing that matters in the world, right? Like, there's yeah. no one else that can ever compete or ever compare with this one person. And it's very idealized, right? Because they don't interact. Like, him and Jessica don't interact a ton. There's, like, a little bit. But it doesn't seem like they have, like, this great rapport or, like, are that intimate. It's just, like, this idealized version he puts into her. And I don't know if you've ever seen Freaks and Geeks. I know I've talked about this on this show before. Podcast before. Have you ever seen that show, Freaks and Geeks? <laughs> of course not. Okay. All right. Still <laughs> um, so the main, one of the main characters is kind of uh, very similar to Morty, kind of like self-conscious, very kind of like, you know, dorky. And he kind of idealizes this girl the entire course of the show. And eventually he gets to go on a date with her and they find out they have nothing in common and nothing works. And I think that's like so common for like that age, right? Like this, like idealizing this like popular girl or popular boy or idealizing this idea of what this person is, but then kind of like, not thinking about like, okay, what are our interactions like? What does this person do for me? Like, what are our personalities even like coalesce? And I think that's really developmental. I think it's it's like Doug and Patty, not to get into that. <laughs> oh man, it's got warm in the room. <laughs> but it's just very idealized. And it's very, it's developmentally appropriate, right? Like at that age, it's really normal for teenagers to kind of idealize and not think about like, you know, what is a healthy relationship? What's not? Can this person be someone I could be in a healthy relationship with? But it's just how a lot of teenagers work yeah and this and you know to your point it's this whole idea of um you know even seeing this person as being out of my league or in this case morty you know out of your league right and then we saw in the you know in the, in the toxins episode where they went out on, the, on that date and you know uh morty was some other morty who was very talkative very interactive yeah. You know, Jessica, I mean, Jessica wasn't comfortable on the date, you could tell. Yeah. But, you know, you just also kind of see other things that happen with Jessica within various other episodes of this show. And from Morty's standpoint, like, yes, this person is, is very much so out of my league. But for, I would like to think that, like, I've matured in a lot of different ways since the time I was, what, 14? Isn't Morty somewhere around there? 13, 14? Sure, yeah. Like that. Now being at the age I am now, like looking back, like looking on that relationship, like, yeah, Morty, I can see how you would think Jessica's out of your league. But like, really? Is is Jessica really that far out of your league? And like, you know, I guess that's up for debate. But I mean, it just goes back to you said, like, there's other personality things, you know, connection, communication, what you're looking for in a relationship, compatibility, you know, all those other things where... I don't necessarily see like this person out of your league. It, I don't think that you all, that the both of you would be a good match at this point in your life, just because I don't think you're looking for the same things. But, you know, 14 year old Morty developmentally, that's where his mind is. And I get it. Yeah. And I, I agree. And I think like Jessica even shows some signs of interest in him here and there. And he, he never kind of like connects to that as like, she's interested in me. Mm-hmm. Maybe like once or twice in different weird instances um, that I can't think of. But I really want to talk about the Vat of Acid episode. I would say before we move on, I would say also that I, apparently I'm the most oblivious to person when people are interested in them anyway. So what do Dude, I know? Dude, I... <laughs> what do I know? <laughs> I am with you. I am 100% with you. I like. I am... And this is actually like scientifically 
shown too. So now that you bring that up, I'm just going to go into this because I think it's fun. Okay. There was a um, study that was done. And I just kind of done teaching about this in my class as well in a different class that was done. It was basically a speed dating situation. So it was males and females who were interested in dating potentially. And they did the speed dating stuff. And what they did was they rated how interested they were in someone and then how interested they thought the other person was in them. Mm. And women were pretty accurate. They could pretty accurately tell if a man was interested in them or not. Men had no clue. <laughs> Men were like, were either overrate, they thought the person was really interested, they were, or like they were not interested and they were. So like, it's really funny to, that you say that. And I think it kind of depends on personality, right? So I think for, I can't speak completely for you, but I think for you and I, we always, I, at least for me, like I always err on the side of caution and like, oh, probably not. Yeah. And then I look back on it later and I think about stories that people told me or things that took me like I was a complete moron. Yeah, definitely. Like that I just didn't pick up on these things. Like definitely. how did I not know? <laughs> and there's plenty of other people and like uh the girl uh, a couple of girls in my class shared stories of like yeah, sometimes like if I'm just nice to a guy, they think I'm super interested in them. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the opposite end of us on the spectrum where they think everyone's interested in them just for being nice and it's like Yeah. But yeah, so that is something, you know, that's backed by science. We're not alone in that. Okay. Shout out to my wife for being straightforward and not uh, not letting it live in the place where I would have had no idea forever. Anyway. Yeah, that may be a different story for a different day, but also a, a very good story. Yeah. But yeah, it's good to know that that's backed by science, so I don't have to leave this yeah. conversation today feeling like like I'm a Jerry. There you go. So. Backed by science. Yeah. <laughs> But let's talk about vat of acid because I have so many things to say about this. And I learned after watching the episode that some of the things I'm going to say don't always fit because they wrote this episode on like one joke, right? The vat of acid joke. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the in-between stuff when he's using the, um, the like the time device where he can like pause time and save, play, save his place, save device, you know, where they're playing the Eric Clapton music and then they're playing the um, other music with the other relationship. A lot of that is done by not the writers that was just like they had this extra time they needed to fill and they gave it to like the animator or whatever and they were just like fill it in so some of this might not necessarily match with what the writers intended because it wasn't them who actually put it together but i'm gonna it's all canon so this is what i'm going with so that device could save his place in time at any time and he can go back to that place in time right Mm mm-hmm and he gets into this relationship that clearly spans over a long period of time they meet both parents they have like small little fight in there. They're both really into each other. They care about each other enough to the point where when they crash and Morty goes back to find his stuff, instead of pressing the button on the go the save state, he tries to use his phone, even though it's like, one is like a surefire way that I will survive. And one is like, I might not even survive even if I can dial 911. Right? Yeah. So he clearly cares about this person. This is someone that he's in a relationship with. He really likes then why didn't he use the device sometime in the relationship? That relationship went over a certain amount of time. And he didn't use it once, not to like before a fight, not before um, whatever to kind of like save his place. And I just want to turn that question to you. Why didn't he, assuming this is like intentional by the writers, which we might, it might not be. Yeah. What do you think that says? Cause I am just like, I have, I have ideas, but like that's, I think, says a lot that he had this device to kind of save his place in time. Like, this is my relationship with her at this point. And I can, I can, I can snag, I can put that in stone. Yeah. You know, uh, you're going to turn this to me. And I said, oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) 
I said, man, I did not see this one coming. <laughs> That's so interesting, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, why didn't he use it? My only, and this is a very hopeful thought too, right? And it's, it's not me reaching for a hopeful thought. This is a genuine hopeful thought that I have. You know, at that point, you know, I think, you know, just because I had a picture, um, some of the more, I guess, not necessarily saying that Jessica was unhealthy, but Morty was in some other pretty unhealthy relationships, quote unquote. Um, they weren't longstanding, kind of like one-offs, little bits here yeah. and there. But during that time, like it's almost like Morty was able to say, you know, relationships aren't always, you know, rainbows and sunshines. Like there are hard things that go into them. And it's being able to work through these hard things that makes the other times, you know, that much better. And again, it goes back to how we were talking about Beth and Jerry, where they have these two extremes, right? This this uh, this pendulum that swings far left and then it swings far right and it goes back far left. And it sounds like Morty was, at least within that relationship, getting to a place to where he was able to take these far lefts and far rights and make a lot of middle out of that. So the only thing that I could think about it is he came to a place where he was able to honor the entire relationship as a process, as an experience as opposed to some desirable outcome. He was for that time being in the moment with what was happening. Yeah. And I could, I could almost agree with you on that because I think that's a really valid point, but why does he carry the, the remote with him? You know what I mean? Like he yeah. had it with him on the plane. Like he keeps it with him wherever he goes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like he's thinking about it. Insurance policy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like that's something like, yeah. Because what you're saying is really valid where he's just like, he's living in the moment. He's not like just doing things for fun like Rick, right? Like Rick in a relationship would be doing things for fun. He'd be using that safe state all over the place. Yeah. But Morty was carrying it with him. Like he had it, like he was clearly thinking about it. He never like locked in, like this is a great relationship. I want to lock it in right here at this point. And like, no matter what happens, I could always come back to this. Or even like right before a fight, right? He was using it for everything. And even just like, oh, um, I don't know how to handle this conversation because they had a little bit of a fight and then they kind of came back and had this discussion. Like, he, I think he, this is where he presents the tickets maybe for the, the trip. And I just think about like, you know, you could save state there and be like, okay, try different things to try to work through it and then work through it. But he like, maybe he just trusted himself to get through it and maybe it worked out because the relationship was good. But like, man, it's a very Rick thing in the sense of like, this emotional connection that he's desiring, but also kind of this like back pocket of like mm-hmm. not taking that steps. I have yeah. no idea what to make of it, but it's really interesting to me conceptually, like why that happened. I was going to say, if he would have uh, continuously saved space, he could have wrote a heck of a book about relationships and, and things that yeah. work and things that don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That's really funny. I didn't think about that. Yeah. But I just think that's so fascinating. Like his decision-making process there like that. That's the thing that makes me think the most, just as a person who thinks about relationships a lot. Like, obviously, the fan theories, and there's so much in Rick and Morty to think about and try to, like, process. But for me, it's like, I can't make sense of this particular 30 or whatever it is, like, maybe a minute and a half, two minutes of, like, no dialogue. Mm-hmm. But there's this, like, this section that happens, and I can't make sense. That's what I think about the most. I would say the unfortunate part is ultimately we find out that he wasn't actually saving space, which, I mean, he didn't notice at this point. Sure, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> yes, for sure. Like, obviously, like, once we find out what actually was happening, like, it's different. But, like, at that point, the way he understood what was happening. Yeah, he, he didn't know it. Yeah. yeah. 
which meant he was just hanging out with some other Rick and the other Rick was just like with him, like, okay with that for a long time. Anyway, not important. Yeah. This is where we get into like the, this is where we get into like the mind stuff about it. It's like, yeah, let's, yeah. let's just not take too much out of it. Yeah. That. We're just sticking this, this, this C-137, even if we don't know yeah. if these are the original C-137s, they're in dimension C-137. So that's what we're going. With. Yeah. That's what we're going with. Just what's on the show. You want to talk about summer? Or do we have more on Morty? Well, I mean, so, you know, we covered Jessica, we covered uh, the Vata Acid, and I guess there there just was the, the one piece with Arthritia, and you know how, like, you, you, you watch the show and you really like characters and you, you want to ship them, and I, I grew this this fondness with Arthritia. She wanted to do, right, like, her, her actions were very... Uh, quote-unquote destructive, her intentions behind it, you know, the whole Purge episode, we won't get, again, into a conversation of what's right and what's wrong. Yeah. But, you know, I, I I did grow a fondness for Arthritia. You know, you talk about the higher-ups and, again, all those kind of things and just her 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 state and, and being able to to combat that. So I, I, I'm not going to lie. I did, I did ship them a little bit. Then we get to the end of the episode. And this... So just for context, Morty you know, tries to have, like, one final, like, before I leave, like, hey, like, you know, is this going to be a thing or not? He doesn't even get it out good, and she's like, oh, yeah, I have a boyfriend. And he's like, okay, but, and then she's like, but, yeah, um, like I was saying, da-da-da-da, and I have a boyfriend, and he was like, all right, you don't have to keep saying it. She was like, da-da-da-da, da I got a boyfriend. And he was like, all right, you just, like, rubbing it in at this point. Like, I said I was okay with it. And, like, she just keeps going on about her boyfriend, right? And I just go, ah, man. And and for and for me, it was just kind of like one of those things where I just felt so bad for Morty in that moment because like, and we know we know Morty's tendency, we know Morty's character. Again, we talk about where he's at developmentally, and that's 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 probably a very hard thing to hear. Yeah, and so I just don't know what it was about her that that, and again, part of it's within the writing. But if we take that like fourth dimension out of it, I just don't know what it was about her or about them and i even think about again going back to the research of of what you stated earlier about um you know sometimes whenever even girls say that you know they're being nice to someone and guys like over exaggerate that meaning behind that like i don't know i wonder if maybe she even didn't have a boyfriend but like that was her safety protection from that i guess there's so many things we can hypothesize because we don't know but it was definitely one of those moments where I was just like, ah, oh, shoot. Like, I thought this was going to be so great. And now here you are digging into Morty. Yeah, it's very similar to the episode with uh, Anatomy Park, right? Where he has that girl he's trying to hit on the entire time. And then oh yeah, that one ends where it seems like he's like, you know, she's maybe interested, but then she would rather build the park in the same like a guy. So, yeah. And so I was I said all that to say not that this uh this is necessarily important to the you know character development or to discuss within relationships without going to that hypothetical place because we could have a, a lot of great conversations around that. But just sticking to what's part of the canon and what we do know, that was a little bit hard for me. I just I wanted them to yeah. work out and poor Morty. Right. Hard <laughs> luck, Morty. Right. And then I guess uh, one other thing that came up for me was the the Jelly Bean King, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Not that they were in a relationship, but there was that whole, what was understood to be some sort of assault, a sexual assault within the bathroom. 
Uh, we don't actually know what happened or what didn't happen, but we know there was something there. And again, this is a topic that I hope that we find another show to have a more in-depth conversation about it. But one thing that I do Absolutely. want to bring up and make sure to note is at the end of it, because, you know, our Rick ended up killing him. Um, then they had a statue at the end and it was uh, the two guys at the end. And one of them had the box of photos that he found and he saw that he was yeah. with all the kids. Right. And and then he was like, we got to go tell the people. And then the other person was like, no, just destroy it. It's better that they know the idea that the jelly bean king represented and to know who he actually was as a person. Totally disagree. Totally disagree with that. That statement, that idea. You know, these when we bring it back to the real world, these are this is things that happen to people. And oftentimes it does get covered up by, you know, whether it be family members or XYZ excuse or whatever the case may be. And I just felt the need. I know we joke around, we play around a lot on this this podcast, but you know, that's very serious. And so I just wanted to to make it known that within that space, it's important that that we in whatever ways that we can call these things out are you know, recognize it for what it is or make any steps in the positive direction or right direction that we can, given our own unique social identities and our own power that we have within any particular space. Again, I say that come in being as a male. So I can say that it's a little bit easier for me to be able to call those things out and have those conversations to be very blunt about it. But just to say that it is a very serious topic. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, and especially the point in terms of, like, it's very easy for us to make excuses or to, like, say, like, oh, you know, we 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 reason out or we rationalize why this one case, it's not, it doesn't need to, like, happen. It's not a big deal. Or we rationalize, mm-hmm. like, this was a good person, they did a bad thing. We rationalize all these things, and when we continue to make excuses for it, we're perpetuating the culture that's continuing these issues, right? And if we, mm-hmm. again, we keep doing things like either victim blaming or we do things like make excuses for or rationalize a person's behavior or almost like some things we talk about in terms of like rationalize like boys will be boys stuff or like saying that like mm-hmm. all this stuff, it's not just affecting this one situation. And that one situation is also like important, but it's also just kind of perpetuating this culture that continues to make things like sexual assault a problem in the United States and similar cultures. So I'm glad you brought that up and talking about because, you know, just that idea of the way we make excuses for things or rationalize why we don't call people out or whatever the case is was like, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's continuing the problem. It's, it's us becoming part of the problem if we engage in stuff like that. For sure. So yeah, I'm glad we had the space to, to be able to discuss that. So yeah, definitely. A little PSA, little PSA. Yeah, definitely. I'm glad you brought that up. Cause that's something that I don't know if we would have been able to transition into like, you know, otherwise. For sure. Yeah. All right. Do you want to end with summer? You probably have more to say on this than I do. I don't know if I do. I just, I'm thinking about the relationship she had when they went to that like uh, Mad Max planet. I don't remember what they call it, like the apocalypse planet or whatever. Yeah. Um, the guy with the bucket on his head. She had that boyfriend, Ethan, who left her for um, chilling and her stripper boobies. Yeah. And that wasn't that when she like turned herself big? Yes. On accident? <laughs> yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. I, yeah, I, I yeah. vaguely remember that. And then she's kind of like been interested in another couple of guys here and there more in the way that Morty's interested in Jessica, but we don't see as much as Summer. But that's really all I can think of. I think the big episode is the one where they go to the apocalypse planet. Oh, yeah. And it was that one guy at the beginning where um, 
where Rick froze him and he failed and shattered. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever his yeah. name was. Yeah. Just another guy that she was kind of like pining after. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess we have the the Mad Max episode being the focal point. You have thoughts around that? Yeah. And we could talk a little bit about, we could also talk about um, Summer and Ethan and that episode we talked about earlier where um, Ethan came over upset because of the, and then they didn't interest. The same with Jerry's parents, right? Like Ethan was trying to get a hold of Summer. She wasn't because they didn't have her electronic devices. He gets mad. And then very oversimplified version of therapy happens, which, you know. Yeah. Is not particularly accurate, but whatever, whatever is helpful to move the story along for a twenty-minute show, and they kind of come together at the end. But I don't think there's a whole lot there to me. I just think of Summer and Buckethead. I don't remember Buckethead's name. We're just going to go with Buckethead. I don't. They. I think the the whole point of what the writers were trying to get at, and I don't know if there's some depth to this that I'm not picking up on was that they were kind of interacting the same way that Beth and Jerry do. Yeah. Just on very different stuff. I'm like, you know, about who doesn't care more instead of who does care more, who is like, I also maybe think his name is hemorrhage. If you want hemorrhage, you're right. His name is hemorrhage. Did you look it up or do you remember? Yeah. I cheated. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So summer and hemorrhage definitely had a relationship that was, you know, very much like Beth and Jerry, except swap out the topics. The, Content. This is a very therapist determined. We'll define it in a second. The content was different, but the process was the same. So in therapy, we talk about content versus process. Mm. The interactions between the couple were the same, but what they're talking about was different. But you could definitely see so many parallels between how Beth and Jerry are and then how Summer and Hemorrhage were. I don't know if you had any other thoughts or things, but that was really my main thought. And that's probably why we initially didn't think we had as much to talk about. Honestly, we probably do have a lot to talk about, but it's just going to be a lot of repeating of the same things that we already said within Beth and Jerry, and even some of the stuff that we talked about within Rick. So I would say just to kind of cap off that piece again, it just goes back to intergenerational cycles. And so like understanding as you're building new relationships with people, um, assuming that you want those relationships to become like more of a stable long-term thing, it's important to be aware of yourself and your family cycles, your family patterns, what pieces of that do you want to bring into those relationships and what pieces are you going to work to avoid or to leave out of those relationships in order to make sure that's healthy and stable. Um, And it takes both partners doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up both because I think sometimes we think about the patterns we want to change or the ways we want to be different than our family, but it's really important to think about the things that we want to take away from our family. What do we like about the relationships in our family and how our family acted? It's important to note that, you know, our family influences us, but it's not like a, you're not destined to be exactly like them. You know what I mean? Like it's Mm -hmm. not destiny. You can change how you are. You can like start to explore different parts of yourself and explore who you want to be and don't want to be. And as you start to like do that, you can make decisions more intentionally in terms of what you want to be like. And it's hard to do. And sometimes people need therapy to work through some of those things, depending on what it is. But it is important to kind of like, do some self-exploration on that topic to think about what do you want to bring into relationships from your family and what would you like to do differently? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Any, any kind of final thoughts? I know we're kind of probably um, kind of going uh, probably near the end here. So I want to see if we had any other final thoughts or. Yeah. No, I think, I think other couples or. I think we covered this in a lot more organized and better light than the first time we tried to. Yeah, much better. (laughs) It seemed like we really hit on a lot of important points. We were able to talk about individual relationships, but also talk about the connection around all those relationships, how they uh, influence each other. 
Hopefully someone's not listening right now and saying like, this is the good version. Like hopefully no one's saying <laughs> that right now. <laughs> well, you know, we did a little bit better planning with this one. Yeah, for sure. And honestly, it, to the person out there who is thinking this is the this is the good version, you listen to the whole thing. So maybe take a look at yourself in the darn mirror. <laughs> Boom. All right. That's my... That's your final words? That's my message. Alienating fans. Yeah. Is that your final words or did you want to... Oh, I was going to ask you just to wrap up kind of like a final thing. I do want to know, what's your favorite fan theory? Oh, did you have something? Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, was, was, that your, was that your final words or did you want to now um, come to a place of repair with the fans <laughs> that we may have lost? <laughs> That's what healthy relationships require, right? We're being open and honest. Maybe maybe it came off in a way that you as the fans, you might have heard it differently than it was intended. So there may need to be a little repair there. <laughs> Put me on the spot. Right. But honestly, you know what? Actually, I'm, I'll use that as a segue. Just saying thank you to everyone who does listen and is kind of like jumping back on with, I know it's a long hiatus between last episodes, between COVID, between like our own schedules. It was really hard to kind of like... Um, kind of keep pumping out episodes. So we kind of had to take a break, but hopefully we're going to get back onto a track that we were closer to it before. So thank you for coming back or for sticking with us or for joining us, whatever the case might actually be. There's my pair. And the irony is like the isomorphism, right? The fact that we decided to come in with a Ricky Morty podcast episode and the fact that it takes them forever to release Rick and Morty. So (laughs) (laughs) a really good point. And that's the best part about this is even though like some of our episodes have aged, like our Big Mouth episode, there's been new seasons since, you know, what we talked about. This will be a long time before we get the new season that'll make this obsolete. So we're good. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, thank you. Anyway, tell me your favorite fan theory. Rick and Morty. What do you got? Sheesh. Oh, man. You got to stick to one. You got to stick to one. We only have so much time. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think back through all of them. My favorite, okay, now I'm choosing between two. So my favorite one revolves around, so there's a couple even around Evil Evil Morty, but I really like Evil Morty's character. Oh, yeah, yeah. But my favorite fan theory is that Evil Morty, something happened within their timeline to where um, he had a different relationship with Rick, which caused him to be you know, more smart, more intelligent. They had a more close connection and some of that Rick kind of rubbed off on them. Um, And so the evil Morty may either one actually be a Rick in disguise or two may have become so smart that he has even surpassed Rick and actually got rid of his Rick to take over and be like the Supreme Morty and Rick. Yeah. I, love the Citadel episode where he becomes president. That one's so yeah. interesting to me. Like the whole evil Morty stuff is great. I was, they don't really come back to him in season four, do they? They don't, they don't, they don't. So maybe, maybe it's come up again, but I hope when we get some season five, even more, I really like evil Morty. I want to see where they go with this. Yeah. So my favorite fan theory is, so this is kind of like my own thoughts with what my, my favorite fan theory is the one where like Rick is like, omniscient in terms of being on a TV show and it's like kind of like part of like the creation of what's going on. I think that's really cool. Oh yeah. And also kind of for me, it's like this idea of like the multiverse and this, I don't think it's, I don't know if it's the, their definition of the multiverse, but other multiverse definitions I've seen is like every decision kind of branches 
mm-hmm. the multiverse. So like every decision a person makes, not making that decision or making that decision branches into two different realities. Yeah. And then there's like infinite possibilities. They follow that too. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I think it'd be really interesting if like this Rick, because he's like sentient and knows it, knows like that he is in this like ultimate version of the multiverse where no matter what he does, he doesn't die or like survive because it's a TV show, right? In the TV show, mm-hmm. he can't die in the TV show. Yeah. So the idea of like him being like, I know I'm on a TV show. I can't die. I can do whatever I want. That's why he's so calm and collected during things. Yeah. And also why he like can just like do whatever the heck he wants is because he like he knows he's part of a TV show. He knows he's the version of Rick mm-hmm. in this multiverse where no matter what decision he makes, he kind of continues to be successful and survive because it's a TV show. And often spites the viewers while doing so. Yeah, you yeah, know, the, yeah. The intentional fourth wall breaks and mm-hmm. just the things that he says to the viewers. And yeah, it's fun. Definitely. Thanks to all of you for listening, and a special thank you to our editor, Sandra Lynn Paul. If you have your own podcast or would like to start a podcast and you need help with the editing, producing, or marketing of your podcast, you can find Sandra at sandralynco.com. That's S-A-N-D-R-A-L-Y-N-N-C-O.com. If you'd like to become a part of Relevation Nation and get daily updates that can help elevate your relationship, you can follow Relevate on Twitter at MyRelevate, or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash MyRelevate. See you next time.